Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. It is God's first priority and requirement to bring about salvation in His people. And that salvation can be based on nothing other than Christ's atoning work that was accomplished on Calvary. And only when that is accomplished can people receive the Spirit of God in all of His fullness. It is an orderly process, and we'll learn more about that on today's edition of Study Verse by Verse with uh, Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. So glad you've joined us on this Tuesday. Pastor Leighton is once again in the book of John. If you want to open your Bible, you can follow along. Turn to uh, the 16th chapter. That's the book of John in the New Testament, chapter 16. I'm going to read through verses 8 through 11, and then we're going to return to each verse individually. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will, not, you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now all three of the aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit are interpreted to be understood as they relate to Christ, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Verse 8, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. According to the scholar Leon Morris, this is the one place in Scripture where Spirit is spoken of as performing a work in the world. The other references, many other references speak of what he does in believers. And here we have a summary of the work of the Holy Spirit now, the word that Jesus uses for work is translated convince in the Revised Standard Version, but convict by the English Standard Version. Commentators commonly render the verb to expose, to convince, or to convict. And although any of these English words in theory might be acceptable, part of the challenge here is securing an, a word that provides an accurate and adequate uh, communication of the original word's intention. And none of these words are quite adequate to it. For instance, to expose doesn't necessarily have negative overtones, although it can be used in some contexts where exposure engenders shame. Uh, To convince can sound like merely an intellectual exercise, but not necessarily evict a, a shame or a recognition of personal guilt. And then to convict can be understood in simply and purely a a judicial sense, as though a judge or jury was handing down a negative verdict. But it doesn't necessarily connote someone that's brought to acknowledge their guilt. So none of these English words really precisely or adequately communicate the meaning of the word from the original language. The word that was used in the original language, described the cross-examination of a witness or a person on trial or an opponent in an argument. 
It always has the meaning of cross-examining a person until they see and admit their error or acknowledge the force of some argument which they have not yet acknowledged. It can be used in some Greek literature for the action of the conscience on a person's mind and heart. Now, clearly, such cross-examination can do two things. It can convict a person of the crime that they've committed, or it can convince a person of the weakness of their own case and the strength of the case that they are facing. And in this passage, we actually need both meanings, to convict and to convince. In fact, the Amplified Bible renders verse 8, and when he, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict and convince the world and bring demonstration to it about sin and about righteousness. And then to describe righteousness in parentheses, it says uprightness of heart and right standing with God and about judgment. One of the translations renders this verse, he will show that the men on earth have wrong ideas about sin, about God's righteousness and his judgment. You see, apart from the Holy Spirit, people really don't know the truth about sin or righteousness or judgment. And it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to penetrate hearts that are hardened in sin, overcome the sinner's resistance to the gospel, and then bring them to saving faith in Jesus Christ and into fellowship with God. Now, the word helper or counselor in verse 7 is the word paraclete. It's a word that has legal implications. It usually describes a person who is active in the favor of a defendant, like, for instance, a defense attorney. But here, the meaning is that the Spirit will act as a prosecutor and bring about the world's conviction. And that this involves a threefold activity that is described in the verses that follow. The first activity, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Now here... As elsewhere in this gospel, the cardinal sin of the world is the refusal to believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of its sin because the people who constitute the world do not believe in Jesus. If they did believe in Jesus, they would believe his statements about their guilt and turn to him. But as it is, their unbelief brings not only condemnation, but willful ignorance of their need. The world's unbelief not only ensures that it will not receive life, it ensures that it cannot perceive that it walks in death and needs life. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin because they do not believe in Jesus. This convicting work of the helper or paraclete is therefore gracious. It is designed to bring men and women to recognize their need and so turn to Jesus and thus stop being of the world. The Holy Spirit brings this conviction home to the human conscience so that men and women are disturbed by sin and seek uh, to be rid of it. James Montgomery Boyce wrote, an example of this ministry occurs on the occasion of the Holy Spirit's coming in power on the day of Pentecost. The disciples had been gathered together in one place awaiting the coming of the Holy Spirit. He had come upon them visibly, and as a result of which they went into the streets of Jerusalem where Peter preached a sermon. Peter told how this coming of the Spirit was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, 
and how the Holy Spirit was given in order that men and women might call on Jesus and be saved. He preached Jesus, concluding his sermon by saying, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And we're told that the people, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And when Peter answered their question, saying to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're told that 3,000 believed and were saved that day. It was a remarkable response. But it was not the result of Peter's brilliant oratory or eloquence. It was because the Holy Spirit had begun his work of conviction of sin in the world. That's what the cut to the heart is referring to. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to open and to make tender and receptive the heart of people. You see, we cannot convict or convince people of sin. Only the Holy Spirit can do that and does. In regard to sin, because they do not believe in me, Jesus said. Now you notice that Jesus doesn't mention the sin of lying or murder or adultery or drunkenness or pride or stealing. But the sin of refusing to believe on Jesus. Now why is this? Is it because those other things are not sin? No, they are. They need to be repented of. It's that Belief in Jesus is the one thing that God requires for salvation. And it's the one thing that is the hardest for natural men and women to acknowledge. When you talk with somebody who's not a believer, they might agree with you that lying is sin and murder is sin. But if you ask them if unbelief is sin, that's a novel idea to them. You know, they think, no, it's just intellectual sophistication or something like that. Unbelief, sin, no. But to not believe in Jesus is the capital sin. For to believe in Jesus is to be saved from sin and have sin forgiven. And to not believe in Jesus is to remain in sin and perish in sin. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, Jesus said. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. This is the flip side of the previous verse. Not only does the Spirit convict unbelievers of their sin, but also of the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness that is available to them through Christ. The reference here to righteousness might either refer to God's righteousness or justice, or it might refer to Jesus' innocence, and there can be arguments made for either viewpoint, but in reality, the two ideas are so closely intertwined, it would be difficult to separate them either in meaning or translation. See, both Jesus' innocence and God's righteousness are shown in the fact of Jesus going to the Father. Although Jesus was regarded as guilty and put to death by a human court, he was proved to be righteous and innocent by his resurrection, exaltation, and acceptance by God. The fact that death could not hold Jesus in the grave and that Jesus was taken up in the clouds to ascend to heaven and the Father proves that he was innocent and righteous. 
And when the sinner, under the inspiration and illumination of the Holy Spirit, compares their own wickedness with the perfect righteousness of Christ Jesus, that sinner comes face to face with the reality of the impossibility of acquiring salvation through any effort of their own. You're listening once again to Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno and a lengthy look at the book of John. And we'll come back tomorrow with more. I'm Mike Trout. Thank you for joining us. Details about the church are always on the web at highlands.us. There are multiple services across the weekend. They start on Saturday evening and go throughout the day on Sunday. Those specifics are there on the website, highlands.us, plus directions to the campus and other information about all of the uh, programs for youth and adults. And let me draw your attention specifically to the Highlands Institute. This is somewhat separate from Sunday morning, and it's an opportunity for those interested in a deeper look into God's Word to spend time in a classroom-type setting. The specifics are on the website. That's the Highlands Institute. And the website, once again, is highlands.us. For this ministry, you'll find us on the web at studyversebyverse.com, and you can listen to past broadcasts there. Join us tomorrow at the same time, if you can, when we'll open the Word of God once again to the book of John and study verse by verse.